0: gave you all I own, put am little now. What's up, ego hackers? Uh, welcome to Season 18, Cognitive Mechanics. And uh, today we're going to be discussing uh, what is cognitive development uh, from the perspective of the octogram. We haven't really uh, put down much for the foundation of uh, the octogram uh, to date. So we're going to be remedying that situation today since uh, we went through uh, last month understanding input process, output feedback, and how that affects the entire science. And today we're just putting together the basic building blocks of what the octogram is. Next, next month, we'll be discussing Cognitive Focus and how it's a building block as well. And then we will be discussing the Octogrid uh, to a point uh, after the fact. Uh, and uh, yeah, so pretty basic stuff for the most part. And uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to see the trusty whiteboard today and uh, have another opportunity Wow, that like made things like very like white all of a sudden. So let's uh, let's remove that for a minute here. So yeah, being able to have the opportunity to talk about these things is pretty awesome. So cognitive development, cognitive development within the context of the octogram represents one's internal life experience, basically everything that they have experienced in life. And that includes their own personal decisions uh, for their own life and decisions that other people have made that have directly affected them as well as indirectly affected them. But it's still affectation. This affectation makes up a person's uh, cognitive uh, development. And uh, from the perspective, uh, from the perspective, yeah, that's right. I am on my regular schedule of being 10 minutes late. Thank you very much. For that. I guess I deserve that. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Fib is snickering uh, pretty well uh, for that statement, yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let me see here, let, uh, let's take a look at what uh, this has here, great. And uh, we're going to turn on my whiteboard uh, to be able to have an opportunity to look at that. I have a little bit of a fuzzy screen uh, with me but uh, not really much I can do about that. Uh, so yeah, but uh, let's actually let's actually like uh, do a little bit of a visual uh, diagram of some kind where we can really discuss that at length. So cognitive development, and oftentimes you know Chris Taylor has talked about cognitive development being the great SI, right? Whereas cognitive focus is the great NI. It's like so so what does that mean? That means you know this is where someone has been, where someone has been. Okay, this is also somebody's life experience, but it's actually more than just life experience at any one given time, it really actually is total life experience. Definitely, total life experience, so Cognitive development is basically, you know, one's total life experience. And okay, yes, thank you, Chris, for snickering too. That's that's fantastic. So uh, let's let's actually put down a timeline of somebody's life here. <coughs> so we'll represent it in blue, right? So, okay, and let's just say eighty percent. And then, uh, then we're gonna do, let's do red. This will be 20%. Ooh, a Pareto. And then we have person's octogram, okay. So, uh, this person is born, great, Uh, and then they have, uh, you know, childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, Adulthood, and so on and so forth. But uh, the introverted sensing piece represents ultimately the first eighty percent. You know, whereas you know, obviously, cognitive uh, focus would be the other twenty percent. But this really is basically what your cognitive development is. It is your total life experience, right? And if you think about it from a cognitive development perspective, why is it that a child, why is it a child? Children, uh, and I'm going to say this here. So children have the ability um, to easily change their cognitive development during childhood. It's extremely easy. Why is that? This is, uh, there's, a type of, uh, there's a type of phenomenon a little bit uh, that needs to be considered when you're thinking about like children to a point. And that phenomenon basically is: is that, okay, you know, why is it that as you get older, time passes faster? Time passes you by much faster when you're older. Why? Have any of you guys noticed that? I remember when I was a little kid that going like summertime right after the school year felt like an eternity. It was an absolute eternity, summertime. And then school was an even longer eternity, but at least summertime was such an eternity that it felt so satisfying. And I felt so rested and prepared and ready to go back to school because summertime was so long and so enjoyable and so excellent, right? Well, as you get older, your perception of time changes. And this means that... So for example... Let's imagine, um, you know, like the the size the size of your your brain, right? So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make a brain here, okay. One brain, okay. Most sort of people are like Chase looks like a heart, just so you know. Thanks, thank you for your uh, amazing criticism. We're gonna make a brain here. And your brain is small, okay? And then your brain gets really big eventually, right? I got in trouble for drawing this exact same symbol when I was in kindergarten, because I was accused of drawing a butt. I got in trouble for drawing a butt in kindergarten and I got in trouble by Mrs. Buck. That was my uh, kindergarten teacher. Good times. So, um, yeah. And, like, so, you know, Robert Potts says, I maintain uh, someone hit fast forward once I had kids. And, like, that's literally how it goes. Um, hitting fast forward, you know, you know that's that, this is a small brain, and then we have a big brain, so it's an adult brain. So, you know, so this is adult, right? and then this is a child. And from the child's uh, brain perspective, the child's brain is a lot smaller, right? So it's perceptive and judgment capabilities are a lot less, which means it has a total life experience of, let's say, you know, for me as a five-year-old, six-year-old having summertime after school, that was a long maternity. Because if you think about it, those months, it was what three months out of the year? How what percentage of my total lifespan was actually those three months? As a five-year-old, after after uh, so you know if you think about it, so if I'm if I'm five years old, right, and my birthday is in February, and I'm five years old. Okay, so that means uh, twelve times five. So I've only been around for sixty months on the planet. And then I get out of school on June 15th, right? So February 7th plus June 15th, right? So that would be March 7th, April 7th, May 7th, June 7th. So that's an additional four months and one week plus an additional three total months. So that'd be seven months and one week, okay? So five years, seven months and one week. So that is a total of 67 months and one week. What percentage of that 67 months as a child, as a five-year-old, is, is my summertime after, after that first school year in kindergarten, what percentage of my lifespan? It is a very significant percentage, okay? And because it is a very significant percentage, that is why it feels like an eternity versus now I'm 36 years old, okay? As a 36-year-old, three months is not really that much of a percentage of my lifespan. It just really isn't. So from a cognitive development perspective, my total life experience, not only does it increase, but my perception of my total life experience also changes because what, what, used, to, what used to seem like an eternity, a three-month-long summer, and it, it, now is just a drop in the bucket. It's just a small drop in the bucket. Whereas my bucket used to be really, really small. What little water I had in it, just one drop was a huge percentage of that little bucket. But now my life is a huge bucket with a lot of water, a lot of total life experience in it, right? So a small drop in that bucket is really going to be insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Think about if you're a person who is who has who is an eternal person that you've lived for eternity, right? A thousand years will just seem like a day to you, right? Right? At least that's what, you know, things, you know, how biblically that it says that God the creator uh, ends up, uh, you know, perceiving the world and perceiving reality among us or around us is because literally from that perspective, like it's just a drop in the bucket. You know, one day really isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, especially when you have eternal life and you are an eternal being. It just doesn't matter. Why is this relevant? Well, it's relevant because when you are a child and your bucket, your brain is small enough and like the days that go by and the life experience that you have, especially as a five-year-old and like that three-month long uh, three, uh, summertime after your school year seems like an eternity to you because that is a significant portion of your life experience. And because it's a significant portion of your life experience, this is why children can change their cognitive development very quickly when it comes to understanding their octogram. I have watched my two-year-old change his cognitive development from SD to UD. He started out SD and he changed it to UD consistently, going back and forth between the two of them as he enters and exits fight or flight response to deal with the different stresses that he has to deal with in his life, okay? And it is easy for him to oscillate within his cognitive development. But when you have someone who's, for example, 30 years old, 36 years old, like myself, 40 years old, 41, 42, 43 years old, that life experience is there. That cognitive development is not going to change very easily because a drop in the bucket is not going to change the entire contents of a bucket. Like if you're trying to like, Uh, dilute something in a bunch of water, the parts per million is so small with a single drop, whereas the parts per million is so much more with a single drop, when you look at a little tiny kid's little mini bucket of water, a little mini bucket of life experience, versus adult, which has this huge thing, and just do the same drop. Like maybe you're dropping iodine in there, for example. Well, the parts per million of the iodine will separate out across the entire bucket of water, and it is entirely insignificant. This is literally why Adults do not change cognitive development unless they have some kind of physical trauma that harms their brain, okay? Physically harms their brain, where basically to a point, their life experience ends up becoming erased in their brain and because of that memory loss and that less life experience, that reduces the size of their bucket basically inside of their brain due to that physical trauma that hit their brain. And that because of the reduction in size, that means their cognitive development is more likely to have the potential to change. And they could switch from being from UD to SD or SD to UD. This is one of the biggest questions that people ask me all the time. Why is it that cognitive development is so hard to change? This is literally why. This is the entire point. Right, that's, that's, the, that's the how it goes. So it's really, really important to understand the difference. It really comes down to your perceptions. It really comes down to the total life experience that you carry within yourselves and your brain. This is why we have the saying, You can't teach an old old dog new tricks. You just can't, right? This is why. Because we have so much life experience getting in the way, right? This is why it is written, a man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is like a child, which means the man has to be willing to let go of his life experience and ultimately let go of his cognitive development in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is the true meaning of that verse. That is what that means, okay? You have to be willing to let go of all of that life experience, okay? Because it's not going to have any value in the grand eternal scheme of things, okay? That's the entire point, Okay, so so based on that, that's really the only way that you can get around it. Okay? So I wanted to make this distinction here before we got as an introduction before we actually got into the lecture. Alright. Alright, so anyway, we know Octogram measures the nurture, right? But a deeper analysis of the Octogram reveals that every pull, for example, uh, sin, virtue, shadow pull, aspiration pull. Some people say pole. I like to say spokes when it comes to the temple wheel. Some people say the poles, and when they say the poles, they're not referring to just the shadow pole and the aspiration pole like they should be. They're referring to also the deadly sin and the living virtue of the temple wheel. And we've discussed the temple wheels at length uh, in season 18. Anyway, that every spoke on the wheel can be used in an extroverted or introverted way. For example, spending on others versus spending on self, right? And then, um, this would make sense, especially like when when you when you come to realize that you know people have this thing you know we like a, we call it like giving and receiving this is what the team calls it you know there are some things in your life that you want to receive from other people, and there's some things in life that you want to give other people and we actually talked a lot about this in um let's see here um Let's see. I have, if I could like actually erase the whole. Oops. Nope. Clear. Cool. We're gonna clear the drawing here. Okay. So let's actually look at you know once again my temple wheel right. So uh, satisfaction. You know it's the uh, it's the epic right in the center right. And then we have, uh, let's, uh, let's get some black in here, okay? How does Chase get satisfaction, okay? So uh, satisfaction, so the, uh, the unconscious uh, focus um, is envy. I am envious of other people, okay? Uh, but then I am internally compassionate. So my compassion goes here, okay? Compassion. But we're not going to be talking about this today. We're actually going to be talking about just these down here. So we have malevolence. Right? And then we have um, um, malevolence versus... uh, My God, I can't believe I'm blanking out on this. I've only had five hours of sleep, so... That's why it's a little bit difficult for me right now. And I kind of sound like a zombie. It's because I am a zombie. That's actually what's happening. I am being... Zombie-esque. Anyway, I just remembered fanaticism. Okay. All right. So you guys can kind of see this episode like somewhat as a continuation of what we've been discussing uh, in uh, (coughs) the Cutting Edge episode uh, for last month, which if you haven't watched it yet, you guys really need to watch that. So satisfaction, this is how I get satisfaction. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This represents my ENTP side. Okay, well, and this is basically my ego wheel. All right, this is my ego wheel. But then we have this thing called shadow wheel. Now we wanted to call it the super ego wheel, but I'm calling it the shadow wheel because I can, and I don't care the consequences of that. And I I just just don't care, I just don't give a shit. Um, So that's what I'm gonna call it. Uh, So yeah, and then, so we have the cognitive origin, which we've been talking about a lot in season 18 with the cognitive origin of reverence, right? So ding, 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 ding. And uh, we have desecration down here, desecration, and then we have egotism, okay? And then up here, uh, other than desecration, um, we have the deadly sin of vainglory And then we have the living virtue of modesty, okay? Cool, great. We got those things. Now, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, something ain't right. So this represents cognitive focus, okay? So, these are the different focus, and then here's the uh, development. We're gonna be focusing on development today more than anything else, okay? Development today. Well, I have slight look at focus, okay? All right. And then we're going to put, um, so envy, um, that is extroverted. Malevolence, that is extroverted. Fanaticism, that is introverted. Compassion, that is introverted. Vainglory, that is introverted. Modesty, that is, oops, that's wrong. Ding, 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 ding. Vainglory, that is extroverted. Desecration, that is extroverted. Egotism, that is introverted. Modesty, that is introverted, okay? Within this model, all right? So this is Chase's octogram. And all ENTPs, this is a UDUF octogram right here. This is UDUF, this is what UDUF looks like. Okay, and remember what we discussed in the last cutting edge episode, okay? we have receiving versus giving okay so let's let's do it this way let's give you guys a little bit of a key here okay so extroverted equals giving okay and then introverted equals receiving okay receiving from others giving to self okay giving to others um, and then receiving to self that's pretty confusing that's that's really confusing most people are like oh my god what the hell are we talking about here okay so, we're, again, we're just focusing on cognitive development today. We're not going to really go there. And remember, you know, cognitive development does not often change. I'm unconscious developed. Why am I unconscious developed? It's because I was severely uh, disabled as a child. But because I'm UDUF, not only was I disabled as a child, I was abused as a child and abused as an adolescent and abused as a young adult. And then for a while, I actually healed myself and I ended up being a UDSF person. And I'm getting closer to UDSF now um, due to extenuating circumstances in my life, um, due to new opportunities that have come up in my life. I'm starting to get a little bit more hope instead of having to deal with a despair problem. But don't forget, UDUF represents despair, okay? Whereas UDSF is hope, right? So let's actually write that down over here, okay? So, so we have SD, SF equals joy. And thank you, Lane, uh, for making this um, uh, very possible in knowing. Then we have decay. And then we have uh, U, UD SF people uh, for their octogram, joy, decay. And then we have um, uh, hope. He's like the Robert Downey yeah. Juniors of the world. Then we have uh, Chase, who is U D U F, and that is despair. Okay, ultimately. Okay, so these are the four different octograms, and these are the archetypes that impact our nature or nurture. Now, remember, this is all human nurture, and this is Chase's human nurture. Okay. So if I'm extroverted with envy, and again, this is just a little bit of review, and we're probably gonna do a little bit of review for this on the next, on the next episode as well, but just, just for review purposes, okay? So envy, that is extroverted. That means I give envy to other people, right? Primarily, I give envy to others, okay? If I'm extroverted with malevolence, that means I am primarily uh, 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 giving other people malevolence but I'm introverted with compassion, which means I give myself compassion and I love receiving compassion for other people. Why? Because something is missing, right? And then fanaticism is introverted. I, I have to be a fan of myself because no one was a fan of me when growing up, so I like it when other people are fans of me. This is why I cannot be in a sexual relationship with a woman unless she is both compassionate towards me and fanatic towards me, to the point of having fanatic loyalty. This is typical of every UDUF ENTP out there. The best example of a UDUF ENTP in popular culture is Klaus Michelson, the main protagonist character of a series called The Originals, on, it's a spin off series off of Vampire Diaries that is available to watch on Netflix. Vampire Diaries, also on Netflix, he starts in, I believe, season 2, episode 7 or episode 8, is when his brother first shows up, which leads to him showing, Klaus actually showing up as the villain for the show. And I believe he ex- exits in season 4, episode 20, which is the beginning of the originals uh, series, basically. Okay? So uh, if you really want to understand intimately what an ENTP, UD, UF man looks like, literally watch Klaus Michelson because how he reacts and how he behaves is typically, it is how I would behave, especially if I didn't have any consequences for my actions. Guaranteed you that's, that's how I would behave. And that would re- like be a miserable existence. And it is. Being UDUF definitely is a miserable existence. But that's why UDUF, again, it's still, it's not a permanent state of mind. Remember, UDUF people are looking for three times, uh, or excuse me, nope. I'm sorry. They're looking for two times uh, their shadow origin. So for me, that would be two XR, one uh, XS. So I'm looking for two times reverence and one time satisfaction. And if I was uh, UDSF, it would actually be 2XS um, and then um, 1XR, right? Well, guess what? It's the same thing for S-D-U-F, 2XS, 1XR. And then for SDSF, it is 3X on the satisfaction, okay? So as you can see, you know, based on this pattern that is there in terms of like where the cognitive origins are being uh, you know, sought after you know, from a despair perspective, let me adjust my face on the screen so you guys can actually see appropriately. So um, <clears throat> this is ultimately what people are getting out of having when it comes to you know, their octograms, right? So this is just the basic foundation that you need to understand with how to interpret octogram behaviors. It's important to know the difference between an introverted piece and an extroverted piece when it comes to the spokes of these two wheels in terms of the octogram. And I have my ego wheel and I have my shadow wheel. The shadow wheel also includes my super ego. but this is ultimately my shadow wheel. Uh, and uh, you know my superego's approach to my shadow wheel is an SDSF. So my superego takes great joy in causing harm to other people, basically. Uh, When it makes fun of them, when it mocks them, basically, it loves doing it. It loves, just like the Joker from The Dark Knight, it loves to dance over their corpses. Okay, So my joy is only, I'm only able to draw joy. My sense of joy ends up coming from my superego as a primary source, even though it should actually be my subconscious. Because my subconscious and my ego are both SDSF. They are the opposite of your ego will and your shadow will. And your shadow will always matches your ego will. Whereas your subconscious and your superego, their wheels always match. You know, whether or not they are UDUF, SDUF, uh, UDSF, SDSF, etc. Right. So yeah. So again, This is all the stuff that you need to know in order to basically understand what I'm presenting here. So the cognitive mechanics within our psyches, for example, axis orbit reflection correlate with the relationship between the aspects of the temple wheels. The temple wheels are still subject to the deeper logic of how our minds operate. So, So what is cognitive development exactly? So cognitive development, represents not only where you have been, which is your total life experience, your internal introverted sensing as a person, whether or not you were an SI user or not, but the tools that you had to develop in order to adapt to your environment as a child and potentially adolescent, okay? So the development poles of the octogram, which is the shadow pole and the aspiration pole, show specifically how in our childhood we responded to our environment and what tools we learned to rely on to move forward in our life. Like for example, you know, I have this, <laughs> I have this rule, for example, um, no UD UF ISFPs allowed in my life or at least allowed around my children. I learned recently that UDUF ISFPs, like for example, I was molested by a UDUF ISFP, and I had the opportunity of uh, getting close uh, to a UDUF ISFP woman in my life, and it was a really rough time. Uh, there was, you know, some betrayal. There was some. There was some issues that happened. It was kind of a sad situation, but you know, it is what it is. Life, life happens. We all move on. It's okay, you know. And everyone has the opportunity to learn and grow. But within the context of that situation, I ended up coming to an under, um, one second. Uh, hopefully I, uh, did not lose the stream there. All right, cool. That's good. Glad I did not lose the stream. That could have been rough. All right, cool. Anyway, the point the point is that I'm trying to make is that, you know, for example, UDUF ISFPs are the destroyers of innocence. Because from their perspective as a child, they have had their innocence taken away from them. And because they're not allowed to be innocent, nobody else is allowed to be innocent. Why is that? Well, that is INTP super ego. Because you know, UDUF is really super ego focused. I know that Chris and I were really shying away from that recently and saying that it is not a super ego focus. but as of right now, I am issuing a retraction. Okay. We do consider it super ego focus, Um, and I would like to uh, thank, uh, uh, you know, fib uh, specifically for pointing that out to us while we were redoing the octagrid, uh, you know, because, you know, basically just looking at the data and the numbers, how everything fit within the octagrid. Absolutely. It is super ego focus. Super ego focus is absolutely a thing. And UDUF people are super ego focused. UDUF people struggle actually having relationships with other people because they can really only connect with other people who are just as beat down as they are, beat down by life that is, beat down with their life experience as they are basically. And that's why UDUF people typically can only really connect with other UDUF people in general, right? The thing is though, is that when dealing with UDUF people, you really have to consider the consequences of the situation. However, but if you're in a situation where it's like okay, you know, you're golden pairs, uh, you're you're in a relationship. You're both U D U F. Just because you know you're in that relationship, eventually you'll help each other get to a point where you're basically U D S F. You're able to heal each other uh, from that perspective and from that point of view, which is which is good. Again, we are, we maintain currently that UDUF as a mind state, as an octogram, is actually a very temporary survival mechanism, okay? And it is not something that is meant to be permanent. The problem is, is that UDUF people are pretty dangerous in general to other people. This is why they have a really hard time connecting with other people who do not have similar trauma. Because As near as I can tell, UDUF people really can only connect to one another through trauma bonds, okay? And this is why the trauma bond actually exists. It really exists specifically for UDUF people to get out of being UDUF. The problem is is that a UDUF person has been so beat down and is despairing so much in life that they cannot get out of their despair by themselves. They cannot. Now, if someone is UDSF... You know, if there, if, there, if there are any of the other three octograms, you know, they can deal with it. But the, if a despair person who is UDUF, they really don't have those mental tools to do that. And it's all as a result of their cognitive development, specifically where they came from as a child, you know? Um, so because I have extroverted malevolence with my unconscious development, guess what that meant? That means my entire environment as a child was very malevolent towards me personally. Okay. It also means that no one was a fan of me. Okay. And I had to learn how to be a fan of myself in order to survive because my environment was entirely malevolent to me all the time and extremely uh, disabling to me all the time. Even with my shadow will, when you look at my shadow will, I am very externally desecrating other people, even to the point of destroying their ego investments, slaying their sacred cows, even publicly shaming them. Why? Because I was publicly shamed over and over and over as a, by, as a child by my father. Hell, even my ISFP UD, UF molester cousin, woman, girl, she even tried to blackmail me as a child and threatened to tell other people of the abuse, of the sexual abuse between each other. When I was like 10 years old, when I was a fifth grader or a fourth grader, actually, when I was a fourth grader, she did this to me. So I was 10 years old, right? 10 or 11 years old as a fourth grader. Okay. And, and I, I called her bluff. And I'm like, no, thank you. But it wasn't a bluff. So what she did is then she told everybody about the sexual abuse. And then she blamed me and said, I was the one abusing her. And that absolutely destroyed my reputation as a child. It was the absolute highest level of desecration that you could have ever have done to me in my INTJ shadow. And I was already basically unconscious developed as it is, given how malevolent my church was, how malevolent my immediate family was, how malevolent my extended family was, how malevolent everyone at school was to me. And that just made it even worse right? This is why I outwardly desecrate other people because it's literally as a result of that abuse, right? Because I had my ego teared down. So I had to be the only person in my life to puff up my own ego, basically, and be there for my own ego, which was why I'm introverted with my egotism, which is like why I like it when other people stroke my ego, especially when I'm in a sexual relationship with a woman. If she ever desecrates my ego, I instantly do not listen to her. I don't care if she's right. I will just stop. I will stop. I will dismiss her immediately. Tune her out. Don't care what she has to say. She could be right. I don't care. I will not listen to her at all because I have to be the only one there to watch out for my own ego, okay? That's like a huge issue. It's a huge issue for me, okay? And that's a thing. So please be aware of that. Please be aware of these consequences of cognitive development from children. This is is given to the point where like the UDUF octogram, in my opinion, is entirely unnatural. It is an unnatural octogram okay uh, it's just there as a survival mechanism and it is meant to be healed out of but you can't heal yourself out of it by yourself because you're despairing too much that you just kind of give up right you need somebody else to be there with you to who actually understands the trauma maybe even shares in the same trauma as you to help you get out of that trauma that way that you can grow out of that trauma together because human beings are built for a relationship and this is how it is so whatever people like for example my ex, Andy Andrea, likes to uh, tell me that, you know, I'm a shit person because I had uh, trauma bonds. She literally told me that to my face. I'm a shit person because I have trauma bonds in my life, right? And and, and it's like, okay, well, I mean, no, thank you. You may be this decaying SDUF person, you know, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, no, thanks. Like, you're, you're just not going to be there for me, Right. This is why in my life, you know, I've only I've only met three INTJ women who are UDUF. Only three. You know, it's because they're just so rare. INTJ women are already 025 percent of the population as is, and then the UDUF ones of those are even rarer. So it's like, okay, you know, it's like, you know, I'm looking at like one in what many thousands of possible people is, is potentially uh, you know, my golden pair that is compatible with me from a nature and a nurture perspective. You see what I'm saying? It's, it ends up becoming like a losing battle after a while. And you just, you know, you just either give up and give in to despair or you just keep going, right? That's just kind of how it works. So anyway, you know, from, from uh, you know, it's really difficult. So one more time though, the development polls of the Octogram show specifically how in our childhood, we responded to our environment and what tools we learn to rely on and move forward in our life. So the poles we develop into, which is the shadow to aspiration pole, and for me that is uh, malevolence and fanaticism in my ego, desecration and egotism within my uh, within my shadow. Uh, you know, uh, they're the same as the size of the mind we learn to rely on to adapt to our circumstances. So for atypicals, which is SDSF and UDUF, the development pole or UD, reveals which pole they spend on others while the other side pull determines which they spend on themselves. So for example, unconscious developed types express their shadow pull in a giving way, but their aspirational pull in a receiving spend on my own self way, okay? So for example, fanaticism towards myself, malevolence towards other people, right? Whereas subconscious developed types express their aspirational pull in a giving way, but their shadow pull in a receiving spend on self way. So for example, Um, You know, an SDSF uh, ENTP, right? So like Fib, he's on the live stream with us this evening. Thank you, Fib, for being our example this evening. He is SDSF. So all of these would be switched, basically. So from that perspective, that would literally mean that his introversion and his extroversion would be completely flipped, right? Completely flipped, you know, using, using the whiteboard here completely flipped so that so he is very external with compassion why because he's received a lot of compassion by his environment so he is externally compassionate to other people but he is internal with his envy he likes to receive envy from others he likes it when other people are envious of him such that you know he can't you know if 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 a woman is being in a relationship with him she needs to be envious of him basically uh, you know, and uh, you know he is very, very external with his uh, fanaticism. He he is a fan of other people, but he is very malevolent towards himself. And sometimes, you know, he needs someone else to be malevolent to him to take him down a couple of notches in order to teach him harsh lessons in his life that he can grow from. Because he wants and seeks out those harsh lessons, he ends up seeking out pain. It's almost to a form of masochism, if you think about it but because as a result of that masochistic malevolence that he has towards his own self that he also likes to receive from other people, it makes him stronger because he's always questioning to himself that, have I literally had everything handed to me on a silver platter? Did I eat from the silver spoon? You know, do I even have any substance? And he is questioning whether or not he has enough substance and whether or not he has enough life lessons or if he's just entirely going to be enabled, right? Same thing goes with desecration or egotism. He, go, he actually goes out of his way to stroke the egos of others, but he ends up desecrating himself, right? Uh, and, you know, he's always taking himself down a few notches, uh, you know, while building up the egos of people around him, Right. You know and uh, he's very external with his modesty he likes to be around modest people and then he ends up being uh you know internal to his vainglory. and he likes to receive vainglory, so he likes to be the one that sticks out from all the modest people that's what sdsf looks like from an entp perspective okay and that's what's literally happening here one more time Unconscious developed types express their shadow pull in a giving way, but their aspirational pull in a receiving way, okay? Subconscious developed types express their aspirational pull in a giving way, but their shadow pull in a receiving, spend on self way, okay? That's literally how it works. So we've been making this all about me, so let's actually talk about the other temples real quick, okay? So... Development in the soul temple. So, for example, subconscious developed uh, ENFPs and ISTJs use their subconscious or aspirational pull of impartiality externally, giving impartiality to other people. They are impartial on behalf and to others because they are subconscious developed. However, they use their shadow pull on themselves, meaning they discriminate for and also means showing favoritism and sometimes against themselves. Like, so they end up showing they don't do themselves any favors. They'd rather give favors to others to a point. Unconscious developed ENFPs and ISCJs use their unconscious shadow pole of discrimination on others playing favorites or being partial towards someone they dislike, but they use their impartiality polls on themselves. So they'll play favorites towards their affiliates and people in their life, but then they will be entirely impartial towards themselves. Subconscious developed ESTPs and INFJs use their aspiration pull of objectification on others. so They objectify others. Objectifying externally while they idealize and even idolize themselves. Whereas unconscious developed ESTPs and INFJs idealize other people but end up objectifying themselves. And that's where you end up getting ESTPs and INFJs uh, treating themselves like an object. Um, there is an INFJ woman, for example, in the Ego Hacker Discord. Her name is uh, Stephanie. We call her Steffi. And uh, Steffi absolutely idealizes everyone else around her, but she constantly objectifies herself. She treats herself like an object. She's really liked receiving from other people in her life, treating her like an object. Okay. And the reason why this happens is that objectification. Is linked to extroverted sensing. It's linked. It's the performance cog, basically, of the uh, of the uh, temple wheel uh, for the ESTP and the INFJs and in trying to reach intimacy and connectedness origin. Because from their perspective, if I'm the most efficient performer, and to be an eff- an efficient performer. And when they're objectifying themselves, they treat themselves like a machine. They treat themselves like an object because the more efficiency they have to have the absolute best performance ever, the more of their humanity they have to lose. And they're willing to sacrifice their humanity to turn themselves into an object of performance that is internal objectification, okay? This is why someone like Steffi uh, has decided uh, in her life you know, like, uh, to have the profession that she had. Uh, which was specifically based on that introverted objectification, okay? And that's how bad it can get for an INFJ who is unconscious developed if you're not paying attention, okay? So let's look at Heart Temple, okay? Because Heart Temple is the shadow, and we've talked a bit about Heart Temple using myself as an example, okay? So subconscious developed ENTPs and ISFJs use their aspirational pull of fanaticism on others and they become fans of others or something external could be a noun, person, place, or thing. And while they are malevolent, often punishing to themselves, uh, they often feel unworthy when compared to whatever their fanaticism is directed toward. Unconscious developed ENTPs and ISJs, like myself, use their malevolence on others, but are fanatical about themselves. Being fans of themselves is the way they cope with exposing others to the pain of the world, believing that they are ultimately helping them, right? And then subconscious developed ESFPs and INTJs, okay, now going to the other side, so now we're at the Heart Temple Wayfarers instead of Heart Temple Crusaders, right? Use their aspirational pull of egotism on others, puffing up other people's egos, etc., while they spend their desecration pull on themselves. They think their ego is too inflated, so they desecrate themselves and reduce their, uh, their, their ego. I actually have the, oppor- you know, uh, ha- have the opportunity of knowing uh, an INTJ who is UDUF and, and watching, them, um, watching them desecrate their own ego is absolutely fascinating to me absolutely fascinating to me uh and uh it's just like like you know just like oh my Effie my child's like oh no 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 it's okay it's okay you know like that that kind of a thing you know but even though my and it's hard and it's nice because then my effy child gets to stop being sacrificed or being fed to my demon then my effy child could be there for this other person you know who's hurting and then i see them desecrating themselves and i'm trying to tell me no you don't have to do that it's okay you see what i'm saying and that's an aspect of the healing process of bringing me out of UDUF to UDSF as a result of me knowing this UDUF INTJ in my life, specifically because of how we interact with each other. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, unconscious developed ESFPs and INTJs spend their desecration on others, but spend their egotism on themselves. They view it as an achievement to destroy the perceived sacred cows and ego investments of other people. This is like, for example, my former co-host of He He's Mr. Desecration. That's exactly how he lives his life. Let's move on to Mind Temple. Are you guys tracking here? Are you guys paying attention? Like, um, it needs to, uh, um, you know, get in there. Like, like pay like seriously pay attention guys. All right, cool. Um, welcome, uh, Genu, to the uh, two things. So mind temple, right? So mind temple people are going for cognitive origin authority and a cognitive origin of validation. So let's look at subconscious developed ESTJs and INFPs. They use their credulity on others, but manifestation on themselves. They accept the rules of their environment to be empowered to manifest what they seek. That's basically what they do. Unconscious developed ESTJs and INFPs use their manifestation on others and try to create a better future, a better vision for others, but are very credulous on themselves, which means they really hella rely on their own uh, credentials and their own achievements to appoint uh, and they very much love receiving those credentials um, from others and have and, and receiving credulity from others, which means they like it when other people just use them as their source, as their cited source and only use them as their sole cited source, right? That is introverted credulity. That's what that means, right? Extroverted manifestation is basically helping other people manifest things and have you know a better future or make their dreams come true, right? And they do that in exchange for receiving credulity from other people. Subconscious developed ENFJs and ISTPs use their obstinance on others but accommodate themselves. They spend all of their accommodation on themselves and they only give obstinance to other people. This sounds like scaredy cat on the ego hackers uh, discord, right? Very, very obstinate towards others and always accommodating herself and making accommodation towards herself. Great. But then there's the unconscious developed ENFJs and ISTPs using their accommodation for others. And they're very accommodating for even to the point of facilitating other people's relationships. Uh, but they're obstinance on themselves. By being helpful to the others, they are more obstinate with themselves And flexibility for other or less inflexible to themselves. So they make so they so they're pretty flexible for other people, but they're not flexible themselves. Unconscious developed ENFJs have to be careful because this is what causes them to put other people above them and other people above their own immediate family. And this can actually lead to abusive behavior from unconscious developed ENFJs because they're placing other people who are not even their immediate family above themselves. This is literally what uh, Railguns ENFJ father did to her. This is also what my ENFJ father did to me, and this contributed to both me and Railgun becoming unconscious developed as ETPs because we were basically neglected, right? And because uh, she was hella neglected, then she ends up neglecting other people in her life because of the neglect that she received from her own father and also from her mother, but all, but especially you know from her own father. And this is a situation when you are becoming a victim of abuse, you are at risk of being abusive to other people. And that is always something you have to watch out, especially with unconscious developed People. I'm not saying subconscious developed people are better. I am not saying that you could actually argue that unconscious developed people are very wise and very mature compared to most people. But the thing is, when it comes to UDUF, that maturity ends up costing like almost way too much that we actually end up losing ourselves in the process. It is entirely rough. Okay. And then, uh, yeah. And then let's move on to the body temple. All right. Let's see. You guys still tracking? Um, you guys still? Uh, you guys still tracking? Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, body temple. All right. So in, uh, so in the body temple, for example. Subconscious developed ESFJs and INTPs use their servility on others. They end up serving others, but they're very hedonistic towards themselves. They spend their service on others, but cultivate pleasure and curiosity in themselves. So they spend all their hedonism on themselves, basically. Because, and this, is, this can cause subconscious developed ESFJs to be very covert contracted. It's like, hey, I serve you, and because I serve you these things, that means I get to go to the store and buy myself whatever I want, or I get to go out to the club with my friends whenever I want, because I did all these great things for you. It becomes a covert contract. And ESFJs and INTPs who are subconscious developed do this all the time. Unconscious developed ESFJs and INTPs do their hedonism on others. But servility on themselves, where they basically will serve themselves and they will serve nobody, but then they will facilitate hedonistic behaviors with other people. And it's like, okay, hey, let's go get blackout drunk, or hey, let's go snort some lines of cocaine, or hey, let's go to the club, let's go bang a couple of girls together, let's go get some let's get some whores together, and they will facilitate the hedonism, right? but then they will spend all of their service on themselves and not serve anyone other than themselves. They cultivate curiosity and pleasure in others, but they spend their service on themselves. That's what that means. Whereas subconscious-developed ENTJs and ISFPs use their complacency on others, but subjugate themselves. They understand that other people are naive. They like being around other naive people, basically. And that can be... (laughs) That could be pretty. Uh, that could be pretty uh, difficult. And then the subjugation of themselves. It's like they understand that they have to be have self control uh, from that perspective. Whereas unconscious developed uh, ENTJs and ISFPs use their subjugation on others. They are trying to subjugate and control other people and enslave other people. But while they do that, they allow themselves to be entirely naive. They allow themselves, hey, as long as I control you, that means I get to be naive sometimes because I have control over you and I'm controlling you for your own good. Again, subconscious developed, the other side is they allow other people to be naive, but they are overly controlling and, and subjugating themselves basically as a result. And that is essentially, basically, all of the differences you know, within the sake of this model, okay? So yeah, Um, great. So that in a nutshell is what uh, cognitive development actually is. Do you guys have any questions relating to cognitive development right now? Jay Patel asks, could you explain the difference between receiving to self versus giving to self? Yeah, giving to self is means I'm giving to me, right? Uh, and then receiving to self means it's what other people uh, have given to me over time. What others, so receiving to self equals what other people have given to me, whether I wanted it or not, right? Whether I've wanted it or not, so that when you give to others, you're giving to other people, what, whether you've wanted it or not. Because remember, something that's very critical, and I'll use red ink for this, all this is, all this is right here, folks, it is one thing and one thing only. Cognitive projection. That's all it is. Cognitive projection, okay? Cognitive projection. So, like if you want to like avoid that a little bit, just to understand cognitive projection, okay? And that's literally how our human nurture works. It is just cognitive projection, okay? You, in your adulthood, you are using your cognitive development to serve up to others what everyone else in your childhood forced down your throat, basically. And that's why it is extroverted, right? And things are introverted, what you never got when you were a child. And you have to give it to yourself just for you to live with yourself later in your life. That's what that means, okay? Literally, that's what that means, all right? Cool, that was an excellent question, uh, Jay Patel. Thank you for asking. Uh, you've always have such great questions uh, for this, especially when we get on private calls. That's also a lot of fun as well. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for your kind words, uh, Fib. Dren Cross asks, how plausible is changing one's development from UD to SD? Like I said, it depends on how much life experience you have. The younger you are, and the, le- and the uh, yeah, basically the younger you are, the, the easier it is potentially for you to change your cognitive development, especially during your childhood. If you're no longer uh, in your childhood and you're in your adolescence, it's basically too late for you. And the only thing that could change your really cognitive development would be physical trauma to your brain for the most part. Uh, I have not really seen or heard of anyone else changing their cognitive development as a result. Uh, of that, excellent question, uh, Dren Cross. Does anyone else have any other questions uh, uh, re- relating uh, to uh, what has been uh, talked about in this uh, lecture uh, today? Anyone else? Okay. Well, it looks like uh, we are done uh, with questions, which is pretty cool. So, all right. Uh, glad uh, glad we were able to uh, have this lecture and discuss cognitive development. The next episode that we'll be discussing in Season 18 uh, will be related to cognitive focus, where we will actually be able uh, to complete uh, this entire octogram-based dichotomy so you guys can understand uh, just fundamentally how uh, octogram works. Um, so yeah, and that's uh, where it uh, comes there. Differences between subconscious-developed and unconscious developed INFP. I already explained that. I literally already explained that. Just uh, watch the stream and go back, okay? It's basically using credulity on others, but using manifestation for themselves as subconscious developed, and then using manifestation on others, but being credulous themselves, that is the unconscious developed for the INFP, all right? So please uh, go back in time, and watch that a little bit um, if you have more questions about that Felice please bring that up inside of the ego hackers discord discord.gg/egohackers please join it uh, and then also take it to the discuss octogram channel where we can have this discussion and you can and anyone will be able to assist you there and uh, have a discussion with you about that differences between a subconscious developed and unconscious developed INFP. So anyway, folks, uh, thanks for watching and listening. And I'll see you guys on the next episode next month for our live lecture for season 18 Cognitive Mechanics. See y'all later. Good night.